before we get into the message today, I do want to take time to pause and pray and ask uh, God to guide us through our time in His Word. Let's do that. Jesus, thank you so much for your goodness, your faithfulness, and your love that is extended to us. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, we give thanks to God the Father because we know that without you, Jesus, the Christian life is impossible. As we spend time uh, going through this book of Colossians, help us to understand the significance of who you are, Jesus, and what you have done for us and what you want to do in us and through us. Help us today to reflect on your word and to find that your word is relevant and applicable to our lives even today and help us to live it out uh, with faithfulness in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so the book of Colossians, uh, it is a relatively small book in the Bible, in the New Testament. It's only four chapters, uh, super relevant, super important, uh, really uh, brings to life the person of Jesus Christ, who he is, what he's done, and what he wants to do in us, and what he wants to do through us. As I said, it's only four chapters, and so as we spend time in these four chapters over the next five weeks, I want to put a challenge out to you as a church family to read the book of Colossians at least three times between Sunday and Sunday. The entire book, it's only four chapters. Uh, it will be quite an accomplishment. You can say you read a whole book all week long three different times. But we want you to get familiar with the book of Colossians. Why? Because the book of Colossians is really one of those books in the Bible that helps us understand that in Jesus Christ alone can we find salvation unto eternal life. And in Jesus Christ alone can we find that we can have and receive all that we need to live the Christian life in a way that pleases God. So if there's ever a place in the Bible where you want to go to find a summary or a snapshot of who Jesus really is, what he has to offer us because of what he's done for us and what he wants to do in us and then through us, you want to go to Colossians. See, Colossians was written at a time when the church was still young. The Apostle Paul and Timothy, his protege, were the two people who kind of put this letter together. It was a letter that was written to a church, and within the church, it was in a community called Colossae. And Colossae was a community of young believers, but, but believers who had been brought the gospel of Jesus Christ from a man named Epaphras. Now, Epaphras was uh, somebody who likely was part of Paul's uh, ministry in a place called Ephesus. And when Epaphras heard about the gospel in Ephesus it changed his life. That's good news, isn't it? See, that's what the gospel does. It changes our lives. Jesus changes us. And so Epaphras goes back to a place called Colossae, and he begins a church. And, and, and Colossae is about 100 miles from where the apostle Paul had been doing his ministry. He had never been there. But Epaphras didn't meet up with Paul in Ephesus. He actually met up with him in a place called Rome. See, Paul was under house arrest, and he was one who had apostolic authority and was bringing the word of God and the teaching of Jesus Christ and the gospel to the entire region. And so Epaphras went to Paul, and he began to tell him the good news that I brought the message of Jesus to my community, 
and it's changing people's lives. They're coming to faith in Christ. Salvation is happening in people's lives, and people are living for Jesus. But I got to tell you, Paul, there's something going on I'm concerned about. The Jewish people and also uh, the Greek philosophers and those who maybe were, were the, the, the earlier uh, developers of what we know as Gnosticism were beginning to infiltrate the church and bring a message to the Christian believers saying that Jesus is really important. We understand that. But he's not everything. You see, he can't be everything. It's Jesus plus something that will not only give you eternal life, but it's also Jesus plus something that will help you to live a life on this earth that's pleasing to God. And Paul, <laughs> alarmed by this, says, um, no, this is not true and this is not the case. It's Jesus only for salvation and it's Jesus only for living the life that God has for us to live, a life that he wants us to live that pleases him in every way. We're going to look at that this morning, and we're going to look at that over the next five weeks, how, how Jesus alone is completely sufficient for our salvation, and how Jesus alone is completely sufficient to help us live the life that he has for us. So I have a question that I want you to think about this morning. The question is this, what do you think about when you think about Jesus? What comes to mind when you think about Jesus? How we answer this question is absolutely critical to the Christian life. If we don't understand Jesus for who he really is and what he's really done and what he really wants to do in us and through us, then we can never really live the life that God has for us to live. See, the Apostle Paul pens this letter from prison. One of the things that that tells me is that Paul didn't allow his circumstances to hinder the work of God in his life and the advancement of the gospel in this world. I want you to consider maybe how you see yourself in light of the greater kingdom of God. Are you considering the fact that Jesus is enough for your salvation and that Jesus is enough to help you live the life that God has for you to live. And that nothing that we should add to or take away from that message will get in the way of advancing the gospel and bringing other people into the kingdom, but also giving us the opportunity to live a life that is completely pleasing to God in every way. See, that's what I want us to focus our attention on this morning. That Jesus Christ alone, completely sufficient for salvation and for living the Christian life, is all we need. He alone is it. See, the Gnostics believed that you had to have some special knowledge in order to receive salvation. And that in order to receive this special knowledge, you needed to be invited into um, the special knowledge or spiritual world. They also believed that all matter was evil, and so the teaching of Jesus Christ as fully God and fully man didn't sit well with them because they said no way can God be a part of humanity because all of matter is evil and only spiritual things are good. We then had the Jews who kept saying, you know, Jesus is good and all, and you should live by the Holy Scriptures, 
but let's make sure we honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. Let's make sure that we, uh, we add to our lives uh, the uh, certain foods that we're not going to eat, and let's make sure that we also add into our lives circumcision. Paul says, no, it isn't about that. I want you to consider today all of the add-ons in your life that you are thinking are requirements for you to be saved and to live the life that God has for you. One of the things that we are plagued with when our, in our culture and our society today is this idea that good works actually does something for us. You know, the Bible tells us that if you commit one sin, you've committed them all. The Bible also says that the best of our good... It's like a filthy rag in the eyes of God. Fact is, is when we think of our goodness, we always want to evaluate it based on how we define good rather than how God defines good. Isn't that true? And too many of us live our lives on the goodness scale. If our goodness outweighs our bad, then maybe we're good enough for God. And hopefully we're good enough to be able to experience heaven someday. Well, Jesus says, well, number one, the best of your good is never good enough. In fact, it's filthy rags in my eyes. You can't gain eternal life on your own, and you can't be good enough to earn my favor. So if we're going to gain eternal life and we're going to gain God's favor, how do we do that? The Bible tells that we do it by the grace of God and only through Jesus Christ. So there really is no other way, and that's good news to us. If you have your Bibles this morning, I want you to pull them out and follow along, beginning in chapter 1, verse 1 of Colossians. If not, you can follow along on the screen. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from, our, from God, our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all of God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it was doing among you since the day that you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learn from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all the power according to his glorious might so that you might have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Paul begins this letter to the church by identifying that if you belong to Jesus, 
You are no longer a person who belongs to the kingdom of darkness, for you now belong to the kingdom of light. And if you are a child of God and you belong to the kingdom of light, then let me tell you what that means, and let me tell you what that looks like, and let me tell you how that should impact your life and the life of those around you. This is essentially what Paul's getting at. So we're going to go through this and we're going to just kind of extract from the scripture some encouragement for us as God's people here now and today. See, Paul begins this whole section by giving thanks. He gave thanks for the way that the gospel of Jesus Christ changed the life of people. And that's the first thing that I want to point out, that the gospel of Jesus Christ changes everything. It changes everything about us from the inside out. And so Paul goes on and he says that, that we give thanks to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all of God's people. The faith and love that spring up from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel. Two things that are important to uh, be mindful of here. Number one, the way the gospel changes you when, when you respond to Jesus is that it changes how you love God and it changes how you love others. In fact, the change that the gospel brings to our life should always be motivated by God's love for us and then in return motivated by our love for God. See, Jesus saved us when we didn't deserve anything because of our sin. Yet he was motivated by love for us, and God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us and to take our place so that eternal condemna condemnation wouldn't be our eternal destiny, but heaven could be our home. See, Jesus says that when the gospel changes you, it changes the way you view God. It changes the way you view others. It changes the vertical and horizontal relationships of our lives. It puts our focus on loving God and loving others through a motivation that God's love is upon us and is now living through us. The second thing we see is that Paul says here, he says, not only has it changed your love for one another and for God and for God's people, but the faith and love that you have spring up from the hope stored up for you in heaven. You see, when the gospel changes us, we begin to understand that as children of the kingdom of light, earth is no longer our home, heaven is. And when we live with the orientation of our lives focused on heaven and the things of heaven, we begin to understand that the things on earth really aren't that important anymore. And the important things on earth are not the things that we can gain for ourselves, but the important thing on earth now is the very thing we can give away, the very person that we know, the person of Jesus Christ. You see, when your hope is heaven-bound, it should change the way you think about your life on earth. It should change the way you think about the relationships you have on earth. It should change the way you think about your day-to-day -day activities on earth. It should motivate you to share your love that God has given you to, with others so that they too can receive the love that you have. See, Paul goes on and he says, 
he says that the gospel has come to you, and in the same way the gospel is bearing fruit, it's growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day that you heard it and truly understood God's grace. The gospel even changes the way that we live our life and the fruit that it bears within our life. The gospel brings salvation to us, but the gospel also changes the way that we see others and the way that we view others. The gospel is something that comes to us and it bears fruit not only for salvation, but for living the Christian life. And get this, the gospel can penetrate all cultures, all colors, all languages. The gospel has no barriers. It should go and it is intended to go everywhere. But the gospel changes your life not by your doing, but by God's doing. Here Paul says that we thank God that the gospel is changing people by God's grace. See, one of the things we need to understand about God's grace and our sin is that we are dead in our sin. And until you understand the depths of the depravity of your life because of your sin, you'll never fully understand the goodness of God and the grace that he wants to extend to us. And when you receive that grace, that unmerited favor, that undeserving favor that God has given us through his love, through his son, until we get that, we likely won't share that. See, because if God's grace is sufficient for you, and it's something only for you to hold on to, but not for you to share, it's not likely it's changed you. When God's grace changes you, it's going to change the way you see others, and it's going to cause you to be motivated to want others to experience the grace of God as well. And this is what Paul is giving thanks for. He's giving thanks that the message of Jesus is going out throughout the whole world, and it's changing people's lives. Has the gospel changed your life? That should have come with an amen. <laughs> but it also comes with an opportunity. Because if it hasn't changed your life, it still can. I want you to know that Jesus Christ came to live the life that you couldn't live. He died the death that you deserve to die so that you could gain a righteousness you could never gain on your own. That's the gospel. God's love for you. If you haven't been changed by the gospel, I hope today God's calling you and you'll say yes to Jesus. See, the second thing that Paul goes on to do here is he, he helps us understand the importance of prayer and how prayer makes all the difference in the world. Paul shifts from giving thanks about how the gospel's changing people to, to uh, elevating, number one, he's telling us he's praying for the Christians in Colossae, but also I think he's given an outline for what our prayers for Christians should look like. And so for this reason, for what reason, since the gospel has changed your life, for this reason, since the day that we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. See, Paul's shift now is from you've heard the gospel, you've been changed by the gospel, now I want you to grow up in Jesus. Now I want you to live the life that God has for you to live. Now I want you to understand all that God has in store for you as a, as a child of the kingdom of light comes and is 
able to be attained by the power of God in you. Notice Paul didn't turn his prayers and position them for the people who are now believers in Jesus to sound something like this. God, thank you so much that now these people are saved. I want to pray that they will have great health, that they will have great wealth, and that they will prosper in everything in life. Doesn't sound bad, right? And here in America, we love that, don't we? We want to be wealthy, we want to be healthy, and we want to prosper in everything. But that wasn't Paul's prayer for these people, and I don't believe it's God's prayer for us either. There's nothing wrong with health, there's nothing wrong with wealth, and there's nothing wrong with prosperity. You need to hear that. Pray for it, it's okay. But notice the focus of Paul's prayer. He prays for wisdom. He prays for understanding. He prays for knowledge of the will of God so that, ready? So that you can live the life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. See, God doesn't want us to please him in some areas of our life. God wants us to please him in every area of our life. And that is attainable by the power of God at work in us. Paul's praying for that, and we need to pray for that for one another. Let me ask you, who prayed you into the kingdom of God? Somebody prayed you into the kingdom of God. Whether you know it or not, people prayed you into the kingdom of God. Let me ask another question. Who are you praying into the kingdom? Who is on your prayer list? Who are you praying for that the gospel would change their life? Who are you also praying for that not only once the gospel changes their life, that they'll grow up in Christ? For many of us who are middle-aged and younger, we've had parents and grandparents who have been praying for us for a long time. For those of you who are a little bit older, thank you. Yeah, I just called you old. I'll just get it out there, okay? Thank you. Thank you for praying. Thank you for praying for your kids. Thank you for praying for for your children. Thank you for praying for your neighbors in your neighborhood. Thank you for, for praying for the kids in the church that they would know Jesus and then become like him. This is important. Paul goes on and he kind of gives us a whole list of things that that, that we could pray for that would change people's lives. He goes on and he says that we are to pray that there would be fruit in every good work, that we are to pray that we would grow in the knowledge of God, that we would be strengthened with all the power according to his glorious might so that we might have great endurance and patience in the faith. He says that we should pray so that we become people who are joyful and live our lives with thanksgiving in our hearts. You see, when the gospel changes you and we pray for maturity to become like Jesus in every way, one of the realities is the gospel changes our relationships, the gospel changes our minds, the gospel changes our heart, the gospel causes us to people be people who think differently, who talk differently, who try to mend broken relationships. It causes us to have a new attitude, to live our lives with open hands and generosity towards others. It causes us to be joy-filled people who are thankful. It also causes us to be people who find that living the life that Jesus has for us is a life of contentment, and we need nothing more. That's good news, isn't it? See, here's the thing. 
When we begin to live the life that God has for us and we begin to pray to live the life that God wants us to live, God begins the work of changing us and transforming us and shaping us into the image of his son. And that should reflect through the way that we live our life in all areas of our life. If you've been changed by the gospel, then you should be a different person. You should be different than when you were a, king, a child of the kingdom of darkness. Because when you're a child of the kingdom of light, we're no longer the same person. We've been changed by Jesus Christ. You know, it's interesting. One of the things that Christians should have is joy in their heart. And let me tell you, if you have the joy of the Lord in your heart, then you should act like it. I was reading an article, or we were sharing about uh, worship leaders and also just people who are up front as Christian leaders. And the statement that I read or was told when something like this for some people, if they have the joy of the Lord in their heart, they need to tell their face. <laughs> Isn't that true? May I also say, if you have the joy of the Lord in your heart, then you should live like it. And if you're a grumpy Christian, can I just say, knock it off? <laughs> There's no room in this world for grumpy Christians. You're not helping God at all or anybody else in your world for that matter. If the joy of the Lord's in your heart, then live like it. Amen? amen. That's an amen. <laughs> now, we got to wrap this up. But I still have one more important point to make, and it's this. Jesus alone qualifies you. Listen to this. As the Gospels changed us, and we become maturing in Christ. One of the things that Paul is now going to remind us is how important Jesus is to this life. We are to give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. Heaven will never be your home without Jesus Christ in your life, period. The inheritance that you gain by saying yes to Jesus and him forgiving your sin and you following him is one of eternal value. It's now placed you as a child of the kingdom of light. That is our inheritance We've not only inherited eternal life, but we've inherited the Holy Spirit of the living God who is in us and who wants to live through us. And get this, Paul says that we have been rescued from the dominion of darkness and we have been uh, brought into the kingdom of the Son he loves. In order to be rescued, we need to be redeemed. And there, Paul says, we are people who have received redemption and forgiveness of sins and redemption means that you're bought with a price, and the price that Jesus paid for you was his life. It costs you nothing. But let me promise you, if you choose to follow Jesus, it will cost you everything. Because Jesus doesn't want some of you. He wants all of you. And when Jesus says you can live a life that is pleasing to him, he doesn't say you can live a life pleasing to me in some ways. He says you can live a life pleasing to me in every way. 
And this is done by the power of the living God who lives in you if you are a Christian. That's good news. Amen? Amen. Amen. Two things I want to give you to take away today. Number one, if you have never said yes to Jesus and you have never been changed by the gospel, I don't want you to leave here today missing the opportunity to fully understand what it means to say yes to him and be changed by the gospel. Come on up front with the prayer team a little bit later and we will meet with you and we will pray with you. The second thing is, be people who are committed to living for God and pleasing him in every way. And pray. Pray for people to come into the kingdom and pray for people to become like Jesus so that when they see us as Christians, they see somebody who looks like Jesus and they're attracted to us because of the motivation in our life is not to gain anything for ourselves, but to express the love of God that we have received that we can share with others. So respond to the gospel, pray for others, be motivated by love. Sound good? All right, let's pray. God, thanks for this day, for your word, for the way it changes us. Thanks that there's nothing we can do to gain this eternal life, to live the life you have for us, but understand truly who Jesus is and what he does and what he has to offer us. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for even making it possible to live a life that pleases you in every way. Help us to be a church if we have the joy of the Lord in our heart, we live like it. Help us to be people who share the gospel because it's changed us and we want it to change others. Help us to be motivated in this world by the love that you have for us and the love you want to live through us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing this song.